0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Fantastics Insider Baseball Podcast here on insiderbaseball.com. Of course, Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Lou Blasi, Skyline Browski. And uh, we've just been lamenting before we started recording the, the podcast. This is a really tough time of the year for us because there's really not enough data to change anything or is there uh, and we want to keep sticking with some of the stuff we did in the preseason sky but people are in season they want a little bit more they want a little bit more data i think all we can do is kind of like a therapy session here and go through some performances good and bad and see if we need to calm anybody down and we need to get people excited it's just kind of just ride with whatever emotions these performances are giving us right
1: yeah i mean i I think the best we can do is maybe some knee-jerk reactions to one or two starts uh, for pitchers, you know, to a, we're as long as you're at the point in the season where if a guy goes three for four with two homers, it, it changes him from a disappointment to a success. It's too early. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and and I still want to I want to point out last year because I rode with Marcus Simeon and Xander Bogats last year, and these guys got off to horrible starts. Simeon got off to a brutal start last year. Oh yeah. By the end of the year, he had put up representative numbers and was a very valuable player in the second half. So, I mean, it's really a case by case basis of when you should give up, when you should move on. But we're on, we're in the second week in most leagues or the first weeks in some leagues. Uh, so it's just, you've got to be very, you, you've got to just try to take it all in and try to weigh it out. And again, I like to have these flex guys at the end of the lineup, and I've already made some changes and cut some guys and added some guys. I added Adam Duvall and, you know, cut some guys. It's just, you can ride the hot hand to an extent, but you shouldn't be doing too much with key, with players that are too key to your season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If, if one week ago you thought something of a player, and now if he starts off, you know, one for 14, you think something different of a player, that's an indictment of you, not the player. Yeah. You know, we, we go through these streaks all the time in August, nobody bats an eye, but because this is all we have, it's the only, only data that we have right now, everybody wants to use it for something. It doesn't have to be used. It's just another data point.
0: Yeah. And some people have some results and they have results from maybe what was the first week in that short week, the first week, and they're going through a second week, especially like you're playing the Tout Wars head to head. I play head 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 to head a lot. You got some results to go over a little bit and it might be clouding your judgment as well because, you know, these early season losses are, or seem big or these wins seem big and you just try to redraw conclusions and you shouldn't do it based because in the preseason we worked on years worth of data in most cases and had reasoned responses with no recency bias to deal with. And you should lean on those heavily.
1: You definitely should guess uh, who the player I'm playing against. Guess where they rank in points for and tout wars.
0: Oh, I don't know. Who who are we talking? Ariel. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. He's first. That's who I'm playing this week. I'm third, but you know, heading for Oh and one because he somehow is getting great starts out of mediocre pitching. And I had Aaron Nola get blown up once, and Herman Marquez did not help me against the Dodgers. Um, So, you know, what are you going to do? It's the first week. You can't sit there and say, oh, well, I lost, so, you know, that's the end. My team's playing very well, and I think they're going to be good. So you just hope you don't have bad luck more than a few weeks of the year.
0: And there's a lot of weirdness and strangeness coming up north, you've got weather playing a factor in some of these games, which is helping some pitchers, hurting some hitters, uh, helping, hurting some pitchers. I mean, very various, uh, responses here. Plus I think camp was weird. I think we underestimate how weird camp was with the players out at the WBC and then coming back for the last few days and then going on the road with the club. I don't think every, certainly more than most seasons. And it's been this year for what, three or four years now, uh, Things aren't as settled as they might normally be coming out of a, no, a completely normal camp. This is another camp that's a little bit different than than we probably expected. So there's going to be a little bit of a additional weirdness.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think uh, of the last four years, last year might be the only sort of normal one.
0: Yeah, and even that got screwed up a little bit because of the collective bargaining agreement. So yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So you know, we we haven't had what we would consider a normal spring training since 2019, really. So.
0: All right, Um, so hitters we see, we have a lot of data on hitters and and, uh, a lot of data relative to pitchers. My point is that we're going to deal with pitchers today and some starting pitchers, and it's really easy to get dug in on a pitcher's first start or first and second start here and uh, try to draw some conclusions. And what we'll do is, like I said, kind of work with it and kind of sit down, you know, in the group counseling and kind of go over some of these performances. And it's like basically springing the hood. You're hearing a noise in the engine, spring the hood, see if something's going on what you do with these performances, whether they're particularly good or particularly bad is you could go in and try to figure out why or what happened if you can. And sometimes you even get frustrated in that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because, you know, odds are you're looking at one start. Maybe you're looking at two for guys that are number one or number two starters. And, you know, since we're focusing on pitching, if it's a reliever, you're looking at two or three appearances, maybe. I mean, these are really, really small sample sizes. We would, Never draw any lasting conclusions from this stuff. But, you know, if you see consistent velocity and, you know, XFIPs that are four runs lower than the current ERA, you're going to say, well, things are probably fine. If you see massive velocity drop, control looks bad, and the XFIP shows that things are of a concern, then you say, well, maybe I'll try to watch the next start and, and see what I can see.
0: All right. So in this first picture, we're going to deal with, as you mentioned, XFIP versus ERA. The XFIP is 17 runs lower than the actual ERA, which (laughs) gives you an idea of the legitimacy or the weirdness of the data that we're dealing with going forward. And we're talking about Andrew Haney, who we talked a little bit about in the preseason, talked about in a couple of episodes as some sleeper starting pitching picks. Didn't have a good first start. (laughs) There's an understatement. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I mean, he's. I have a few shares of Heaney, and uh, I was really kind of looking forward to him pitching in Texas. I uh, thought he you know, had a great year last year, really sort of under the radar because he, he's become kind of a uh, – I mean, we can call these guys two-pitch Tommies, I think at this point, uh, fastball slider guy, and he's just going to pitch sort of like a reliever. Well, he went back to using the changeup quite a bit in his first start. Even uh, extended the the delta between the changeup and his fastballs. Fastball velocity was down almost a mile an hour. The changeup was down two full miles an hour. Slider was down a mile and a half. So you'd think these things would work to his benefit, not to his detriment. But the swing strike rate was was off considerably. The the chase rate was off considerably. Uh, Chase rate probably still a little bit above average. Swing strike rate dropped to a little below average. Again, we're talking about one start. He faced 17 banners a 50% homer to fly ball rate. You know, these are things that will not continue to happen regardless of the fact that Haney typically offers a pretty high homer to fly ball rate. Um, But you know, the control was poor. He was behind almost every hitter, just not a good day. Uh, But you know, 455 BABIP and the 50% aforementioned homer to fly ball rate. These are things that it won't be like that. So I definitely want to watch his next start. Uh, I think that, I I think he's going to be better than that, obviously. Um, That's sort of like damning with faint praise, though.
0: Oh, the first place you and I both went is we went towards to see if velo was off, and it was off a little bit. And we went towards deployment to see what's changed there, and deployment changed. It was a he was a forty-two percent fastball guy where with the Dodgers last year sixty-two percent. And but I, I cautioned to be digging into that too deeply because first of all, velo in your first start, you don't pay too much attention to that. You don't want to see a guy three miles an hour off, but you know you give it a little bit of time to see whether there's some legitimate velo loss or whether it's just first start. And, you know, whatever the other factors are involved, it's kind of the same with deployment because I don't know if that deployment was a planned deployment or a shift in his approach on the mound or if it was a response to what was going on. Because if a fastball is getting hit, you, you stop moving off the fastball a little bit and go, oh, I can throw a change up. I didn't mean to, but I got to mix something in here because they're hitting a the fastball.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, also, I think uh, if I recall correctly, um he left the game with the bases loaded and two out and the reliever promptly gave up a grand slam and then got the next guy out. So it's, you know, classic, classic, whatever can go wrong, will go wrong stuff. So, you know, I think he'll be fine. He has a two start week coming up next week. The first is at home against the Royals. Uh, Then he's in Houston and it's a bit dicey of a week after watching that opening start where he did not have the command that he exhibited last year. But, Again, I think you need to come back to what did I think coming into this season? And if you thought good things of Andrew Heaney coming into this season, which I did, then you'd be kind of a fool to say, to throw it all out the window after he didn't even go through the batting order twice. Right.
0: And and you pointed it out, but I think it needs to be said too. But on the other And that's all true. But on the other hand, if you wanted to sit out the next start, you're perfectly within your right to sit out the next start and see what happens, right?
1: You are you are, but it's a two start week, and you those you know you you assume that your pitchers are going to put up positive point starts right, and if that's the assumption, then you really don't want to give up those two start weeks if you can help it
0: yeah, format is so important, so if it's weekly transactions and you don't want you don't want to give up the two starts that that'd be a, that'd be a lot to give up if you're in a daily transaction, you say well. I just want to see the next start, and then we'll, we'll talk about the the start later this week when it comes there. I wouldn't be adverse to that, but yes, if you if you're in a weekly transactions and you get to decide whether to take the two starts or not, kind of t- especially in a points league, take the two starts, right?
1: Yeah, I think that you sort of have to, especially when the first start, the Monday evening start, has the Royals coming into Texas. Uh, Texas not a hitter's park anymore; um, it's not really a pitcher's park, but if you're going to call it anything, it's neutral. You know, it's neutral in almost every aspect. Uh, I believe it's uh, exactly neutral for run scoring, 2% boost to home runs, and like a 1% detriment to to base hits. So it's as neutral as neutral gets, which should be good for Haney relative to Dodger Stadium because Dodger Stadium is about a 25% booster of home runs at this point. So Haney, that's his biggest bugaboo normally. So I kind of think if he's going to pitch normally, he'll be better off in Texas than in L.A. In Kansas City, really, I mean, if you can, as a left-handed pitcher, if you can get past Fran Mill Reyes uh, and Bobby Witt, I don't think there's a ton of power there uh, against left-handed pitching.
0: And that first start couldn't have been worse than Chris Sale's first start. Chris Sale bounced back. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) he didn't bounce back (laughs) great. He's not in Cy Young consideration or anything, but it couldn't have been worse than Chris Sale's first start.
1: You know, Chris Sale... Doesn't look great to me. No, um, through both of those starts, and I, I love Chris Sale, but you know the, the control is not there, and if he's going to walk guys, boy, I mean he's I don't know. I, I I'm concerned about Chris Sale. two no, starts.
0: There's no excuse for this because he's been back and healthy, went through a complete spring training. He's um, a good time away from the Tommy John surgery. He's had several rehabs and been able to work on his mechanics and his control. You have to you have to kind of figure at this point it's not there. It's just not there because he would have found it at this point if because he hasn't been he didn't miss any camp because of injuries or things like that. So he should be on point at this point And we're not seeing it so far.
1: No, we're not, and the velo's off enough that it makes me wonder just how well that arm recovered. I mean, you have to assume that he's healthy at this point because, like you said, you know he's pitched a total of um, what fifty innings since yeah. two thousand nineteen. So you know he he should be rested, um, but this doesn't look good. You know the control is off, the flyball rate is pretty significantly up, the exit velo against is pretty significantly up. He is missing some bats, but you know, not like he did at his peak. So I, I feel like I'm not real enthused about, put it this way, if I had any shares of Chris Sale, I don't think I'd have him in for this coming week.
0: Logan Webb has had two starts, and they are similar statistically, but they look like two completely different starts. He started against the Yankees uh, in his first start of the season, gave up a couple homers in four runs. That's going to happen. He struck out 12 and walked two. Which said, all right, there was a lot of good things happening in that start. These things happen against the Yankees. You know, that's okay. But this start against the White Sox, his most recent start, not good at all. Only four strikeouts, no walks, but still gave up four home runs. Didn't give up a homer, but to get hit around pretty good.
1: Yeah, he had, he had sort of the uh, Alex Cobb disease going on uh, against the White Sox, where there were many plays that could have been made by his fielders. We'll use that in quotation marks. Um, and it, they just weren't made. Uh, and I thought – I watched so many of Alex Cobb's starts last year, and just the, – the San Francisco infield was terrible. They're, I mean, outside of Brandon Crawford, they're just terrible. <clears throat> and I think that that was a lot of what Logan Webb saw. The problem with that is that those guys are both pretty heavy ground ball pitchers, so yeah. if they have people not making plays, this is going to persist. Um, Webb did not have that problem last year. He actually outperformed his ex um, so maybe the bad luck is moving from Cobb to Webb this year, which would be unfortunate. But other than the lack of plays made, his control looked great. The stuff looks totally intact to me. I mean, he, you know, he's he's down a tick from a couple of years ago in velocity, but it's relative to last year, he's, uh, he's identical. Uh, swing strike rate was back up. Chase rate was up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, all pretty good things. I think that he's fine. You know, fifty percent ground ball rate. Let's just throw aside the ERA. Through two starts, his xFIP is two hundred six. It's fielding independent ERA. If you just want to, if you don't want to normalize homer to fly ball, is three twenty three. Both those figures are just fine. <clears throat> so I think Logan Webb is just fine. I'm not concerned one bit about him.
0: Yeah, and the additional strikeouts against the Yankees, it is the Yankees. The Yankees is still a a trailing team in this return from three true outcomes. They strike out a lot, so you can add that in there. But 12 strikeouts in six innings pitched for Logan Webb, if he can accelerate his strikeout rate a little bit on top of the good things he already does in terms of keeping the ball on the the ground and limiting his walks and obviously limiting the home runs, that'd be a nice extra gear for Logan Webb.
1: No doubt. You'd be looking at something like 2021, which is – you know, borderline Cy Young kind of a year for him.
0: Yeah, and that strikeout rate was just a little bit over one per, one per inning. Uh, not extraordinary, but with the other stuff he does so well, if that strikeout rate just ticks up a little bit, it's going to be a great starting pitcher. Well,
1: I think he's going to be a great starting pitcher regardless. I, you know, where was he uh, in terms of ADP? 27. I think he's better than that. I I would put him in the top 25 in terms of starters, I really without reservation, so.
0: But we're at the point now, we talk about park effects a lot. And of course, that's with San Francisco, that's a plus. And in the NOS, that's kind of a plus to a large degree. But we have to start talking in terms of team defense. This is the first team that we've concentrated on team defense so heavily on. And we've been doing it from last season as well. Team defense just isn't good. It's part of it. You got to figure it into the value of pitchers in the San Francisco organization, especially guys like Webb and um, uh, Alex Cobb, who get the ball on the ground a lot.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're both uh, 50% plus ground ball pitchers. So it does matter. Um, but you know, it's funny because you look at the individual defensive metrics for these guys like Tyro Estrada. He's not a horrible fielder. And he's playing a lot of second base for them. Brandon Crawford's perfectly good. So you know, it feels like they should be better than they are. But then you've got J.D. Davis playing somewhere in there. And J.D. Davis is best categorized as a designated hitter. So maybe he's the sole culprit. I don't know. I mean, it was just, it was so many plays last year for Cobb, just every game. And it it seemed like whatever play was the most important to be made in a, in a given start was the one that was not made. Yeah. Just sort of total luck stuff. So I, you know, I feel like this can't persist. San Francisco is not a dumb organization. They generally make reasonably sound moves. So if they have a bunch of ground ball pitchers, they're probably not going to have a horrible fielding infield.
0: Is it heresy if I go against defensive metrics a little bit and just say, all right, I mean, I know what it says, but, you know, eyeball test.
1: Um, I don't think it's heresy. I think defensive metrics have been improving steadily over the last decade or so. Oh, sure. yeah. I mean, we don't have Derek Jeter winning gold gloves anymore. So I think they're improving. There's always um, There's always further room for improvement with that stuff because – to a point, it has to be eye test based.
0: It's like anything else. It's more information. It's more data to add to the analysis. But I think you weigh it. I, I'm more um, more on top of the metrics we use in projecting players from the offensive side or from the pitching side than I am from the defensive side.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. I think that that's probably still the biggest hole in analysis.
0: All right, Merrill Kelly, two starts, one good start, but short, another one get beat up a little bit. And the interesting part about this is, and this is something that you have to pay attention to, I think, both against the same team. So this is two looks within seven days of each other.
1: Yeah, but it's also two looks from an organization that has had a million looks at him over the last couple of years. Uh, with the imbalance schedule, you know, he was facing them quite a bit. <clears throat> I I wonder, uh, the guys that have come back from the WPBC, at least the American pitchers, have really not been good. So I wonder if that has just kind of thrown off. Like you say all the time that starting pitchers are creatures of habit, and I fully agree with you. And for that sort of to torpedo their normal preseason yeah. preparation – I wonder just how much of an impact that's having. Because Merrill Kelly is, I mean, for all the things that he is not, he's usually not a poor control pitcher. And Merrill Kelly's walked, you know, eight guys in nine and a third innings through two starts. He has the Dodgers that are a somewhat difficult lineup to go against, but I wouldn't say they're the most difficult anymore. I think uh, the injury to Gavin Lux created, you know, a few minor holes in their lineup that they're not, World beaters, no. But you know, he's given up a massive exit velocity through two starts. Um, you know, the, the the velocity is, eh. You know, he's he's probably at the lowest of his career right now at ninety one and a half. Which I wonder just how much energy these guys expended in the WBC and whether they're just going to be a little rough for a few months.
0: Well, that's what hit me about the first start was that he was pitching well and only got through. Uh, 11 out he only got through three and two-thirds innings and he is a guy who was pitching competitively in camp they didn't walk him through camp or anything like that he was pitching competitively started the championship game so that 3.2 innings pitched in that first start when things were going well stood out to me
1: yeah and i think the expert xfip of 550 is much more indicative of how he has pitched than the era of 386 to this point um in a zone percentage of thirty uh, percent, probably the lowest I've ever seen from a starting pitcher. Granted, it's two starts, but seventy percent of his pitches have been balls. Yeah, that's the problem.
0: Yeah, and he's not easy. the chase rate was thirty is thirty three nine through the two starts, which is good. But if you're throwing seventy percent outside of the zone, you got to get a better chase rate than that.
1: Yeah, and he just doesn't have the stuff to get a chase rate better than that. So I'm I didn't like Merrill Kelly to to begin with coming into the season. But he was being, his final ADP was 61. So he's being drafted basically as a fifth starter. Um, I don't see it. You know, there's a lot of guys that I would prefer to to him.
0: It was a decent 22, 2022, though, although he did throw two innings pitch, which was a high innings count for him, especially over the last couple of years. So you wonder how that's playing into the situation here. And the XFIP 337 ERA, 386 XFIP. So there was some support for that performance. It was a decent performance. From him. He's not a guy you want in the top half of your rotation, but he's a guy a guy in the number three slot and the number four slot who you'd probably welcome, even though you probably couldn't get him at that price.
1: You know, it's it's funny though. <clears throat> I see the X Fit at 386, but the walk rate was kind of average, maybe slight just a tick better than average. Ground ball rate's only forty-three percent, so nothing exciting there. And less than eight Ks per nine. Certainly nothing exciting there. So you look at the three things that we look at most frequently, and he's not really better than average at any of them. So I'm kind of surprised to see the XFIP even that low.
0: Yeah, and he had the 9.9 homer to fly ball, which is a little bit low based on his baseline of what we've seen in the last couple of years. So that's where an XFIP kind of should be playing, should be taking that into account, but I don't know if it takes it into account enough. He got a little bit lucky on fly balls last year.
1: Yeah, he did. And if you... Take away 2020, which we frequently do when we're looking at numbers. Um, I see a guy that's a kind of low to mid four ZRA pitcher. You, you can do a lot better than that. So I don't really feel that he should be starting in anybody's lineup in standard 12 team formats. He's, I don't think he's one of the top 60 starting pitchers in baseball.
0: No, and this is one of these cases where he's in that fat group in the in the starting pitching, and the job at that point is, and everyone seems to think, well, these are a lot of similar players. They're just basically interchangeable, and I think you lose by taking that attitude. I think what you have to yep. do is try to pick the players out of that group that are are getting better or have better capability, and you need to pick out the guys like Merrill Kelly, who on face value would be in that group. But shouldn't be listed with a lot of those pitches. He's on the lower end of that group, and he, he's a guy that should be avoided from that group as, a, as opposed to a guy you should pay a premium for.
1: Alex Cobb was going three slots after him. Yeah. I mean, that's prime me, example of a elevator. guy.
0: Yeah, prime example of a guy you should be picking out of that group, and Alex Cobb as, a, as opposed to a guy you should be fading in that group, which is Merrill Kelly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Tyler Molly. I'd take Tyler Molly, I'd take Trevor Rogers. I'm going way further down the list at this point. Zach Eflin, I would take easily. Herman Marquez, you can cherry pick his starts. I mean, when, you, when you're talking about your back-end starters, you want starts. You want good starts. You don't want necessarily a good starting pitcher because you're probably not going to find one. But you want good starts out of there that you can mix and match. And you take a guy like Herman Marquez, who is not rostered in many leagues, but Herman Marquez is probably going to have 10 to 15 really good starts during the year. And they're fairly predictable. Is Merrill Kelly? Uh, Merrill Kelly is going to give you a whole bunch of vanilla starts.
0: I'm trying to I'm trying to go for the splits here because, and yeah, I'm, I'm because that the 9.9% homer to fly ball rate kind of seems suspect to me from the standpoint of Arizona's a pitcher's park. And with the humidor, he should be getting some help from that. Well, he gave up 12 of his 21 homers, Not a big difference, but 12 was 21 homers away from home. But he had, you know, 10 less innings pitched away from home as well. So he got unlucky. That's where he got unlucky on the road where he's giving up fly balls and they were going out where they might not in Arizona. So, you know, one of these things, if you have Merrill Kelly and you're going to pick your starts, you pick starts at home, try to pick good opponents. You're not going against bad opponents on the road.
1: Yeah, he's thoroughly average. He's, He's below average at missing bats. He's average at suppressing hard contact. His ground ball rate is average to slightly below average, and his walk rate is average to above average. He's a very average at best pitcher, and I just don't see the upside that you would want at that point in your rotation.
0: Would you rather roster Graham Ashcraft or Merrill Kelly?
1: Graham Ashcraft.
0: Yeah, Graham Ashcraft, who has been so far one of the early fab and waiver wire uh, dowlings here because he had a really good start to start the year. It was against Pittsburgh, so take that into account but started off well, and the guy throws hard. We love guys who throw hard. Yeah, we
1: do. Um, I'll tell you, what, my uh, I usually make a, a, a conclusion type of a note next to every player when I'm doing my prep for these things. A little summary. Yeah, yep. and my conclusion note on Ashcraft is, might look like a deal high candidate while the market is hot. Because here's the thing, Ashcraft, his control appears to be improving every year, which is great. The ground ball rate is stellar, which is great. So if people are going to uh, value him as an SP3-4 candidate with upside, then you're better off keeping him. But from what I saw in all of my leagues in FAB over the past week or so, yeah, because uh, I had a midweek FAB run for Tout Wars, and then we had end-of-week FAB runs for some of my other leagues, people are treating Graham Ashcraft like he might be an ace. And this is a guy that doesn't miss bats. He's basically pitch to contact, sinker ball kind of a guy. He happens to throw very hard. So if he ever makes the shift to, I don't know, you know, continuing to throw the slider at 40%, which is his bat misser. Um, And he's basically cutter slider at this point this year in the one start. So we'll see if that persists. But for now, the swing strike rate is still sub 10%. That's well below average in today's game. Um, and he doesn't necessarily suppress hard contact unbelievably well. Even in the start against Pittsburgh, he allowed a couple barrels, which was a 10% barrel rate to the Pirates, one of the yeah. weakest offensive teams you the ever So I just think without the K-rate upside, you're limited in terms of what kind of value you can get out of Ashcraft. So if people are going to treat him like a potential top 30 starter, I have no problem leveraging that right now.
0: So it has less to do with his actual talent on diminishing him. It's about right now the tide is high and you know the sale price is high if you want to look around and start to move him at people's perception because that is the big thing. They think he throws hard. They think he's going to strike out guys. They think he's a top half of the rotation guy. Until and unless that strikeout rate comes up, he's not a top half of the rotation guy. He's basically a ground ball contact pitcher who just happens to throw hard. And by the way, his high minors history – tells you he's not a strikeout guy. He doesn't miss. He didn't miss bats in the minors. It's not his game. His game is to get the ball on the ground. Throw hard, get the ball on the ground.
1: Right, and he's already pitched more innings at the major league level than he did in the high minors. So <clears throat> this is a player that's still developing, and I have no problem rostering Graham Ashcraft. I do like him. I have him in a couple leagues. Uh, the problem is, is that Graham Ashcraft is much more of what you and I talk about as the kind of pitcher you should be targeting in the SP 50 to 85 range. Then he is what I've seen in terms of, you know, fab, uh, fab bidding for right. just they've gone crazy.
0: Yeah. Take advantage of the market because people are hot on him, And, it, and I understand why, again, he throws hard. That's the headline. Everyone knows what his VLOs have been throws more hundred mile an hour pitchers than anybody, you know, over the last few years by a mm-hmm. wide margin. So he throws hard, but that's strikeouts aren't his game. And from a fantasy standpoint, he's, he's just over. It, it's not a matter of questioning his ability. It's just he's overvalued right now.
1: That's how I feel. <clears throat> and that's just from what I've seen from what people are, people have bidding hundreds of their fat dollars on him. I know. And I'm just sitting there saying, you know, this dude is like Derek Lowe, right? I mean, he, he throws hard, he's not a bat misser. Those two things are not always going hand in hand.
0: And we don't have a history of him throwing to strikeout guys. And on top of that, he's 25 years old. So yeah. it's not it's not like we're going to... And again, as I said on the last podcast, pitchers find things. Don't get me wrong. If someone gets in his head and says, you should be striking out more guys, you should be going you know going for the throat a little bit more rather than throwing for ground balls. I don't think it happens in Cincinnati, by the way. But should it happen at some point, that strikeout rate may go up and we may see a different pitcher here. But he's not, well, I'll use the example from the same team. He's not Hunter Green. His ceiling is not that of Hunter Green. His ceiling is lower because he doesn't punch out guys.
1: Yeah, his floor is better than Hunter Green's.
0: His floor is better than Hunter Green's because he doesn't walk guys, keeps the ball in the ballpark, keeps the ball on the ground.
1: Yep, exactly. But ceiling is what you're looking for. Anything outside of your top couple pitchers, you're looking for ceiling. And I just don't see it in Ashcraft. I think he'll be perfectly serviceable.
0: All right, uh Jeffrey Springs nice uh, six shutout innings in his first start and off coming off a great season last year for Tampa Bay in a good organization that knows how to develop pitchers and knows how to maximize them. Uh how excited should we be about Jeffrey Springs?
1: Well, it's hard not to be excited about six no-hit innings with 12 Ks and a walk. Yeah. But, you know, it was the Tigers. So, I mean, let's temper all enthusiasm uh, for the time being. And his velocity is still down from where he was as a starter. He obviously is very deceptive, and he's got a real nice, almost 11 mile an hour delta between the fastball and change. And the changeup is where that's where he makes his money. You know, he, that changeup is an excellent, excellent pitch. 16% swinging strike rate in that first start, 36.5% chase rate. All good things. Control looked really good. Control looked good last year, too. I just find it bizarre that you know a 30-year-old journeyman pitcher who was basically hot garbage for Texas and Boston uh, can all of a sudden show up in Tampa Bay and in the matter of 12 months go from you know sort of a long relief kind of a specialist to what looks like a top 25 starter. I'm I'm not I'm not feeling it. I think that the market. I think he's going to be good. But people are valuing Jeffrey Springs like he's a top 20 pitcher right now. And no, I I refuse to believe that that's something that's going to happen.
0: No, I don't want to pay that price. But as I've repeatedly said, pitchers find things. They're alley cats. They wander around. You get to a good place. Like You shouldn't be terribly surprised that this happening going from Texas and Boston to Tampa. You shouldn't be surprised when this happens when a pitcher goes to Houston. You shouldn't be surprised when this happens when a pitcher goes to San Francisco or the Dodgers. They just find things. They maximize these guys and they found something that works for this guy. Even the slider was, um, the slider is down a couple of miles an hour, which is going to help his delta between fastball and slider, which may, may make that more effective in the long run. That looks like something he's found. It's real, tr- it's real early to be making, uh, you know, one start. You can't be making decisions even about velocity and things like that. But he's got a lot going on. Tampa Bay has got him to the point where he's doing it successfully and making the most of his, um, making the most of his ability. I don't want to pay from. him. I don't want to pay a super premium price for him. I agree. But there's no reason to believe that he's all of a sudden going to revert to what he was in Texas and Boston either. No,
1: I don't think he'll revert to that at all. But uh I'm I'm pretty keen on seeing what the market might offer for him. Yep. Uh if I'm if I'm a Springs owner because honestly tomorrow's start against Oakland He'll probably do a very credible job of shutting them down as well because they're horrible. Um, so then, you know, next week he gets the Red Sox at home and might be slightly more representative of a of a test for him.
0: Yep, he's going to have very good numbers next week. And and again, if you're at the point where you see. This is where we've been lamenting. You and I have been lamenting all morning long about about doing shows at this time of the year and working with this type of data. But what happens is we can look at if to use a money ball phrase, we can look at inefficiencies in the market here. And that's what you've been talking about for the last couple of pictures is uh, with uh, Graham Ashcraft and, and Jeffrey Springs is that might be sell high opportunities. Or, you know, if, if someone's willing to move that early, if you've got someone who's willing to make a trade this early, based on a couple of starts worth of performance or a single start worth of performance, that might be an inefficiency in the market that you can take advantage of.
1: Yeah, I think uh, that's exactly how I feel about these two guys. I think they're both going to be very good pitchers. I think Ashcraft is probably going to be towards the bottom end of the top 50 in terms of production for this year. Uh, But if I had to guess, I think Springs could be a top 30 pitcher. But if you're going to get top 30 and top 20 value respectively for them, which seems to be general consensus around the the world of fantasy baseball right now, I don't mind doing that. You know, I don't mind giving up someone that I think is going to be good if what I can get is what I think is going to be better.
0: Right. And with Graham Ashcraft, uh, springs get drafted in most leagues. With Ashcraft, you are probably looking at a fab situation in here, and you have to make a decision whether you're going to spend a large percentage of your fab budget on this guy. This is where this inf- information becomes important, too, because you are going to have to go big to land him in your first fab periods or your first couple fab periods if he's still available at this point. And you have to make a decision on whether he's worth it. And I'm not sure he's worth a premium price at this point.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here with him in my house league and he's been on my farm. And he was on my farm all of last year. <laughs> he's still on my farm right now. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I mean, who do I take out? Cobb, Gaussman, yep. uh, Spencer Strider, John Gray, probably not. So
0: well, in most leagues, you've got, to, you've got to make the Fab bid, unless you took an injury, of course, you've got to take the Fab bid and you've got to make a cut on top of it.
1: Mm-hmm. And I guess
0: the question is with Fab bidding is, am I going to get, is there going to be, you have no way of saying this is an unfair um, question to ask, but I'll ask you just for the exercise of it. Is this going to be the best pitcher who's going to be on in, available in Fab this year for this season?
1: Well, I'd have to think no, because I'd, I'd have to think that someone will show up out of A ball or double A that we didn't think was going to play this year. And because of injury or performance or whatever, he'll they'll show up a little early and then everybody will want that guy.
0: Well, somebody's going to be cut this week or next week or in the first sure. month or in the first six weeks who's finally, you know, the Zach Gallons of the world. <laughs> that, yeah. that are going to find it and become viable pitchers in the second half or, or later in the season.
1: Yeah, I think there's a real good chance Graham Ashcraft is uh, a top three fab target for the year for starting pitching.
0: All right. So, Kevin Gaussman, uh, two starts, two shutout starts, 12 shutout innings so far. He's pitched very well. And uh, not only your favorite, my favorite saying of yours is uh, being too early is indistinguishable from being wrong. (laughs) And I was just when I had Gaussman a couple of years ago, the move to the AL East to move to Toronto, I just said, I just don't like it. I don't like him getting away from San Francisco. I think San Francisco found things in him and helps him be the best pitcher. And so I was definitely too early, but I just might be outright wrong at this point.
1: I don't know. Uh, I'm actually a little concerned and I have a lot of shares of Gaussman for a guy that we didn't really talk about this preseason too much. Uh, I have a lot of Gaussman and Man, I mean, the velocity's down two full miles an hour through two starts. Swing strike rate is down almost five percentage points. Exit velocity's up. One thing that I like to look at for pitchers early in the season, and I know that a lot of this will be represented in XFIP versus CRA, and you can get this a lot of different ways, but looking at unearned runs is something that can clue you in to some guys that are due to run into some problems that have not yet. And Gaussman did allow three unearned runs so far this year, which would put his ERA at a much higher level than zero. Yep. So, you know, that's that's the kind of thing, like, he is still missing bats. Uh, The K rate shows no deterioration to speak of. But the swinging strike rate has gone from fantastic to below average so far. Now, chase rate's still great, but because of the diminished velocity – Hitters are able to to catch up to a lot more, and he's never. This is velocity lower than he has ever shown. Ninety two point nine on the fastball, down from ninety five last year. So, I'm very concerned right now.
0: And this is a matter of you can take that concern, but you gotta kind of have to sit on it, don't you? At, after two starts in April, one in Toronto, one in Kansas City, and uh, where was the second start? I forget where the other start was. Kansas City and St. Louis. Yeah. So outdoor in April. So,
1: yeah, and they were pretty good hitting environments too. So at least the second start was, um, and he managed to skate around it. I mean, without the error, I think uh, you know he probably gets out of there with shutout ball. But they were able to make a lot of contact, and he's getting a lot of called strikes. Now, maybe that's something that'll last all year. I it's not something I would want to bank on.
0: Pretty good chase rate, swing and miss wasn't there, but the chase rate is still pretty pretty solid so far relative to his baseline.
1: So he's deceptive, but the lack of velocity—an extra tenth of a second for a major league hitter is hit enough for them to foul pitches off that they would swing and miss at otherwise.
0: Yep, huge. So that's yeah. something to be concerned of. So what we're going to have to, at this point, you start to identify what you're looking for, and in the next start, we're looking, we're, we're going to be watching velo in the next start or two, right?
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I'll be watching very closely.
0: All right. Shane Bieber off to a good start for the Guardians in his first start. And I traded Dylan Cease for uh, Shane Bieber early on because I had a lot more faith in Bieber than I did in Dylan Cease. Paying off for me so far.
1: Bieber's another guy like Gaussman that I have some concerns. You know, the velocity's down again this year. And he's getting to the point where you just don't have a lot to play with anymore. You know, he was 94 miles an hour during the COVID year. Okay, fine, we throw that out. He was 93 before that, maintained just under 93 in 2021. Then a big velocity drop last year to 91.3 on the fastball, 90.7 so far in his two starts. Uh, Yes, doesn't throw the fastball a ton anymore. throws the cutter more. But across the board, he's down in velo. And you're getting to the point now where, you know, that swing strike rate has gone from 17 to 16 to 14 down to 12 so far this year through two starts. It is worrisome. His control is excellent. He does keep the ball on the ground fairly well. So those are positives. But that exit velocity is creeping up and he's never been a better than average guy at limiting hard contact. So there's enough here that does concern me where I could be looking around, you know, he, at Seattle and at Oakland very very friendly pitching environments so far mm-hmm. for him this year. It won't be that friendly for long. So, you know, I he's a guy that I I dare say is going to be out of the top 12 starting pitchers by this by middle of next year, we'll say.
0: He's really in one particular stat he's really pushing the envelope on what can be considered a, a pitcher on the sh- shelf that we're dealing on and the price we're paying for him. It's down to it. He's a sub 27% fastball pitcher at this point. How long yeah. do you remain a quote unquote elite pitcher with a sub 27% fastball rate?
1: I know. And guess who his next start is against.
0: Oh, who's his next start against the Yankees. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, that he's certainly a guy that could go out and, and hold them and strike out 10 guys in six innings because they will swing and miss.
0: Yeah, and the Yankees are guys that would have more trouble with off-speed-based guys than they do fastball-based guys. They hit fastballs.
1: Yep, and it's it's at home for them. But usually an April home start in Cleveland is going to be miserable in tough hitting conditions. Next year, Cleveland tends to have kind of our weather a day earlier. So next Tuesday here is supposed to be 67 and partly cloudy. That's a good hitting environment, so I I'm a little leery. All right, it's so two starts next week, and the first one is against the Yankees. I'm
0: so we've a got a leery. watch list on Bieber as well. We're going to be watching watching velocity, and I'm going to be watching fastball deployment here because again, and that's been it's been a constant decline for four seasons now, from thirty seven percent to thirty five percent to thirty four percent, and just I don't know how comfortable I am with a pitcher going twenty six percent fastball in terms of the price you pay for him. And what you had to give up to get him—that's concerning. I mean, if, if he were just a guy that you had in the back end of your rotation, a st- one of your streaming pitchers, or your number three or your number four, okay, I can buy into that. But you—you you paid a lot more than that.
1: Yeah, I think his days of, of fanning a batter and inning uh, are, are pretty much over. And you know, I would be leery next week. The second start is at Washington, which is a favorable matchup for anyone. I mean, I might be able to get some of those guys out, (laughs) but um, you know, going against the Yankees in a decent hitting environment is pretty worrisome at this point as they've papered over one of the major holes in their lineup from last year at shortstop.
0: Yep. So again, we get a watch list on Shane Bieber. Like we get a watch list on Kevin Gaussman. Yep. Hazel Lozado is a guy that we've spent a a number of years. It's become a career trying to figure out who Hazel Lozado is and what he's capable of. Two starts, uh, numbers look good off the first two starts.
1: Yeah, this is uh, this is the opposite sort of comment from the last two. This kid looks like he's a little bit of control away from becoming a top 12 pitcher. I mean, he, he is virtually unhittable right now. The velocity's up again. So the last three years, he's gone ninety five and a half, ninety six, 96, now 97.2 through his first couple starts this year. Um, that changeup and slider both come up in velocity as well. So it's just arm speed. He's just feeling really good right now. And that puts the swing strike rate at a three straight year of increase. This one is pretty large twelve and a half percent, thirteen and a quarter percent, thirteen and three quarters percent, seventeen and a half percent so far yeah. this year. Finally, he's got his chase rate above average too. Everything is looking really, really good for Lazardo right now. Uh, if you are into Simpsons references, I'd say everything is coming up Millhouse. <laughs> you know, he's he's just looking great. The ground ball rate is up a ton. Everything looks fantastic except the walk rate.
0: Yeah, he's that was five
1: hard. guys in thirteen innings.
0: That's what I was going to look at. But on my dashboard, I have the ground ball rate and the fly ball rate, and they're both up a little bit, which indicates to me, first of all, more ground balls, and secondly, less line drives. not just not squaring him up as much. And his quality of contact just tells you that that's true. They're not squaring him up at all so far.
1: A hard hit rate of 25%. That's yeah. fantastic. He just looks, I've watched a little bit of the two starts, and he looks unhittable. Basically, the only one that can beat him is him right now.
0: And he threw 100, he's thrown 100 innings pitched the last two years. So 120, 130 going out from here out, 140, maybe even 150 is not within, not outside of the realm of possibility if he can stay healthy and effective.
1: Yeah, plus he had some rehab uh, innings during uh, each of those seasons. And in, uh, in 2021, he actually was sent down to AAA because of that lack of control in Oakland. So he pitched about 124 innings in 2021, pitched 112 last year. I think 130 to 140 is reasonable. Maybe you could even push it to 150 this year, which, you know, that's 25 starts at six innings apiece. Okay, that's fine.
0: All right, Mike Clevenger is floating around in many fab situations and waiver situations as well, off to a good start. And because of the injury history and because of his history over the last couple of years, we don't know really what to pay for in terms of Clevenger, see anything in his first start or see anything early on that we can legitimately react to.
1: Well, I think the control was very suspect, and then that would sort of be expected. I think, um, you know, the velo looked good, he's most of the way back to his uh, 2019 2020 peak velocity, uh, certainly a good tick above last year, which is excellent. Um, he's become, at least in that first start, a two pitch pitcher,
0: yep, yeah.
1: fastball slider, and that's it. Which those kind of guys you can miss a lot of bats. Um, but they're probably not going much more than five or six innings. And that's if they're efficient. So, you know, chase rate was down. Swing strike rate was still just maybe a tick above average. down ball rate was very poor. Yep. Control was very poor. It was a mixed bag. Uh, I think you could be, you could feel a little bit confident, a little bit positive about that start. But, you know, I think, the days of Clevenger being a borderline ace, which was uh, 2019 only, I would say, maybe 2018, 2019, those days are gone. Um, if you're, if he's your fourth or fifth starter, I think you feel okay about it.
0: And I think he's got Pittsburgh next. You're okay if you want to take a chance on that start. But yep. in, long, in the long term, don't commit too much because um, it was an encouraging start. But there are signs that tell you that, as you said, those days are over. The days when he's the top half of the rotation starter are over.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't see I don't see that coming back anytime soon.
0: All right. uh, Let's go to the bullpen and a couple of things just to wrap this up as people are getting in. And again, the big part of the the big thing here this early in the season is these first wave of periods and fab periods and making sure you grab some holes. And again, we're looking at early data. We have to react to some of it. And I'm a big play the hot hand guy. That's why, you know, Adam Duvall's in my lineup at this point. (laughs) Knowing full well that he may not last the full season with me, but he's hot right now, so why not grab him? So, in the bullpen, we have to do that to an extent. Pierce Johnson in Colorado, Daniel Bard dealing with his issues, and Pierce Johnson has been doing the job in Colorado. But this is basically ride him while you can, right? Yeah, that's certainly how I would look at it. I think his control is is rather
1: suspect, um, and he's also fairly hittable. I mean, he's sort of a curveball first guy, so you don't get too many closers like that there's no chase rate to speak of he's missing bats so far in a few innings this year but in general he's sort of an average bat misser just not a guy that looks like there's a closer pedigree there um especially in Colorado I do not expect this to end well Uh, but for the time being he's getting saves he's he's converting the opportunities so sure you go out go out and grab him if uh and maybe he can give you a few weeks of picking up saves for you, but he's not somebody I'm supremely interested in.
0: All right, Evan Phillips, nice season in 2022. That's probably what empowered the Dodgers to look at him as a closer. And he's uh, stood up to the job for appearances so far, hasn't given up a run.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this is a joke, right? A team that, that has playoff aspirations, uh, World Series aspirations like the Dodgers, having this dude be their closer. I mean, you got to be kidding me. He's eminently hittable, and they couldn't do better? I just don't get it. Like, they have a bullpen full of guys that are really quite hittable, and I feel like that is going to come back and bite them this year. Evan Phillips, if you want to run a a test flag up on him for a few weeks, go right ahead. He's not somebody I'm going to take a chance on. I think there's just way too much blow-up potential here.
0: Nice strikeout rate last time. Although the swinging strike and chase rates aren't particularly elite. He's not overpowering anybody. That's basically it at this point. And this is what you want at the end of the bullpen. You want someone who can overpower people.
1: Yeah, you definitely do. And he relies so much on called strikes. I just, you know, sure, he limits hard contact. Fine. But, you know, there's nothing here that screams lockdown closer to me.
0: Especially not the 5.4% swinging strike rate.
1: Oh, goodness, no. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Not what you want to see in a closer No All right uh, Adsley with uh, With the uh, Cubs Adbert Azalay, and he's striking out guys At a pretty good rate with a 16% swing strike Percentage and a 34% chase rate Been hit around a little bit In his 4.2 innings of relief But uh, that swing strike rate and he hasn't Walked anybody yet either
1: No and you know else, I actually picked up elzale in my house league uh, For next week to put him in, um, I just I think that the arm talent has always been there with Elsley. You know, he has pretty excellent strikeout rates since he's hit the major league level. The control is just very suspect. He'll go through a, a period where he is kind of locked in, and then he loses his release point and he's all over the place again. Uh, very inconsistent. But there have been flashes of great ground ball rates, flashes of decent walk rates, and certainly you get the bat missing with him. Uh, and the velocity's up again this year. So this is second straight year of increased fastball velocity. And he's basically a three-pitch guy at this point. You know, he will throw yeah. a, a change here and there. But he's fastball cutter slider, which has become a pretty popular mix. And the 16% swing strike rate last year, and he's already bettered that a little bit through his two lengthy relief appearances this year. Basically, he gave up one home run, and he hasn't given up anything else, and he struck out eight and four and two-thirds. He's looked very good in these two relief appearances. So, you know, I, I like him. I think that uh, he's probably going to sit in a swingman sort of role for the Cubs for the time being. Um, and that arm talent is it's impressive. He's always had a good pedigree.
0: Does he qualify as a heavy reliever at this point? And, of course, format's going make a, uh, his value is going to be based on format here, whether you uh, score holes, for example. Mm -hmm. and uh, adding strikeouts in the bullpen in deep leagues where maybe you're not getting closers that deep into your bullpen and you have to fill out the back of the bullpen. If he can rack up some innings, he'll rack up some strikeouts for you, At some pretty good ratios.
1: Yeah, I think they're going to pitch him. They're going to kind of pair him with Wesneski to start the year and have him be a piggyback with him, and then he'll probably pitch one other time during the week. So for the time being, I think you're going to see kind of these two multiple inning outings a week from Elzelay. That seems to be how they want to use him. Um, so, yeah, I think he'll have the opportunity to, to rack up a lot of K's in that role, pitching maybe four to five innings a week.
0: All right, I'm hitting you out of the blue here. We didn't talk about this before the show, but I think an important player in the waiver wire fab bidding at this point is Garrett Whitlock for the Red Sox. Uh, second outing uh, has pitched well down there. He's got Tampa Bay up next. He's going to be in a major league roster by next week. Um, he's a guy who has some ceiling. There are some issues with Garrett Whitlock, but he has some ceiling too.
1: Yeah, he definitely does, and it's primarily in terms of uh, both bat missing and control that he's exhibited basically since the COVID year. Uh, when he's when he switched to the bullpen, he's throwing harder and throwing more accurately. So these things are very good. Um, I'm enthused with him. I think that there definitely is some upside there. Uh, He does allow a lot of line drives, which is not good for potential BABIP, but the bat missing is enough to give him the upside that I think he's a guy that I would take a chance on in deeper formats for sure.
0: And he's got some low-hanging fruit in terms of development. He's 26 years old, but also the big knock about him is that he didn't pitch well as a starter last year. Pitched well as a reliever, seemed to fit the role well, didn't pitch as well as a starter. He can learn to be a starter. He can gain some skill, which is going to be, again, some low-hanging fruit in terms of his potential.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, He's looked great in the two minor league starts so far, 10 innings and uh, 14 Ks. He's walked a couple guys, given up two runs. It's it's all pretty impressive stuff. So, you know, if he's pitching it against Tampa, that's going to be a little bit of a stiffer test. But, uh, you know, I think there's enough upside here that I prefer him to, oh, I mean, let's say Merrill Kelly, for example.
0: He's got um, good velocity. He's got a good delta between the fastball and the change. He's got a hefty slider. These are all the things you need. These are the basic tools to be a good major league pitcher, at this point, he's just going to learn the. I believe he's going to learn the craft, and I think the starting pitching he'll be more adept at a starting pitcher the more he does it. It's going to there's going to be a learning curve, but I think he's going to adapt to it quite well.
1: Yeah, my biggest concern with him is is probably workload related because yeah. you know, one year in his career has he pitched more than eighty innings. So I, I think that you're really going to run into some kind of workload wall at some point. He's already pitched 10 innings in the minors. So what's his ceiling this year? 100, 110 maybe?
0: All right. So we can't, we got a couple minutes left here and we can't fit in the bourbon segments on the SiriusXM show here. But maybe <laughs> we'll slip one in on the podcast here because I want to hear you, you had a birthday recently
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you get uh, Jefferson's Ocean as a gift. But you had a, you got a shot of something that I don't know if I've heard of before. Tell me about it.
1: Uh, which, which one are you referring to?
0: Oh, I'm not sure. Tell me, what what did you get?
1: Well, we were down at, um, we actually, for the Tout Wars, we went down a day early to go to the party, but before the party, we scheduled an early dinner at a uh, a two Michelin star restaurant down there uh, called Gabriel Cruther's and mm. it's uh, fantastic, just a, a fantastic meal. Um, and they had a great bourbon list, and I have heard often of barrel bourbon, um, you know, ranked very highly on all kinds of lists. And I'd never seen it anywhere up here in upstate New York. So I saw a couple barrel bourbons on their list. And I believe the one they gave me was called the Amador. And it was tremendous. One of the better bourbons I've ever had. And it was fairly reasonably priced. I mean, I I drink some crazy stuff from time to time. (laughs) Uh, And this was probably half to a third the cost of that crazy stuff. So Really, really liked it. If you get a chance to uh, to encounter any of the barrel bourbons and taste them, by all means, please do it.
0: Yeah, Sky and I, have bourbon guys, and I like talking to Sky because he gets into some of these shots sometimes of some good stuff that I will probably never see because <laughs> I'm an idiot. And, and my, I, no, it's not a matter of being it; it's a matter of being successful and capable of doing it.
1: Yeah, I suppose
0: and being gifted as well. Yeah, so gifts are good. Gift barrel must be out of Kentucky, right? I believe it is,
1: yeah. And um that's probably something that we would have tried. We had that March 2020 trip scheduled down there where we had a whole bunch of tastings set up and everything and I I still regret that we haven't rescheduled that trip yet,
0: perhaps next March. Yeah. All right. So, um otherwise what's on your what's on your bar for most of the year? Well, I'm actually I, I moved my setup today, so I'm in my kitchen next to
1: my bourbon drawer. So, Right now, I've got eighteen or nineteen bottles sitting there.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, so one of gonna... those guys too. I can't be one of those guys. Oh, it's a, it's
1: absurd. I just I keep I, I don't drink it that fast. Yeah. So you know, I have all these these bottles, especially the really good stuff. I don't drink fast at all. So I was given uh, two and a half years ago for Christmas. I was given a bottle of old Rip Van Winkle ten, and I still have probably a quarter of that bottle sitting there.
0: How do you walk up to that bar with the Rip Van Winkle sitting there and not drink that?
1: Uh, because I know it's awesome, and I, I have so many of them that I kind of rotate through them because I want to try them. I have an unopened bottle of the the Willet Reserve Rye that's, you know, that's probably a three-digit bottle. That's yep. an excellent bottle. Uh, I've got uh, one of the High Wests, the Midwinter Nights Dram. That's a, that's about a $250 bottle. Yep. Um, and I've only had a couple pops out of that because... It's so hard to get. I, it had been five or six years since I'd seen a bottle of it here locally. And as soon as I saw it, I grabbed it. I, even though it was a crazy price, I, I just told my wife, I said, well, I bought us a Christmas present too, along with these other ones that I got for other people. Oh, oh, so your wife's into the bourbon too? She, well, in advance of that March 2020 trip that we were supposed to take, we started drinking some bourbon with some friends of ours up the fall before up in the Adirondacks. And she said, well, I want to kind of get a little well-versed in this before we go down there and do all this. So I know kind of what I'm tasting, what I might like, what I might not like. So we just started tasting some things. And she loves things like Angel's Envy and some yep. of the old foresters that are really kind of, you know, cherry, cherry taste, vanilla taste, some of the sweeter tastes. She really likes those very much. So, yeah, she's she's into it, too.
0: I so say she wants the wine casks. She wants the sherry casks. Yeah, she likes yeah. those. She likes those. Uh, she likes those. More than I do. I don't at all. Yeah, no, I, I don't want any fruit in my bourbon.
1: Uh, see, I like I like those. Yeah. But if you get into stuff like, oh, what did I have? Uh, you weren't able to come out to Worcester last year, but we found a great bourbon bar there, and we tried some things that were fantastic, and then I tried a Jameson's Orange, and all I
0: could say when oh, I tasted it... Orange might work, yeah.
1: Well, all I could say when I tasted it to avoid offending the people was, wow, that's orange. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a Mo guy to begin with. I actually have a bottle of Clona Kilty sitting here, which I find to be roughly 712 times better than Jameson's.
0: Um, I avoid the whole cask thing. If it's a wine cask or a sherry cask or something like that, no, I'm not I'm not into that.
1: Uh, see, I like the Angel's Envy. It's a little sweet, and I tend I to like not Angel's drink it because yeah. it's her favorite. Yep. But uh, I think it's good.
0: So you work hard. You work uh, long days on let's say last night, Thursday night, you get done at nine, ten o'clock, you're gonna have some bourbon. What's on the shelf? I mean, what what's your go to on a on a Thursday night? Uh,
1: if I'm just gonna have one, I, I don't drink low end stuff because I'm a spoiled rotten snob. <laughs> but um my probably the one that I go to the most is my old Forester eighteen seventy that's sitting there. It's not a super expensive bottle. I yep. like Old Forester. It's got that little tiny vanilla flavor. It got some oak. Uh, got some leather, you know, it's got some of the traditional bourbon stuff that you're going to get, but it's got a touch of sweetness to it, which I prefer for just one at the end of a day.
0: Yep. Do you find your taste change on things? Because that's what I'm mm-hmm. going through now where I had, I was doing Elijah Craig pretty heavy for a long time mm-hmm. as a daily. And then all of a sudden I just said, nope, I'm kind of done with this right now. I'm <laughs> just kind of moved on.
1: I went that same way with Elijah Craig a few years ago. I, I find it to be, I mean, is it wrong to say beneath me now? I, I don't. I loved it and then you know I know what I mean like I just yeah, I loved it is. and one day I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I just I just yeah, definitely that does happen. Um that Midwinter Night Stram, I mean it's a it's a really really expensive bottle and I loved it 5 or 6 years ago and I've had I think two neat pours of it so far and I'm I'm thinking, you know, I don't love this anymore. And what? I don't love a lot of the high west stuff. I it find, it's very high alcohol to me, so I tend to cut it with some water or put a cube in it. And that's not the way I prefer to drink my bourbon, so
0: yeah, yeah, and my girlfriend's drinking the bourbon, too, so we keep the proofs down for the most yeah. part, yeah,, yeah I think somewhere around
1: ninety is is good for me to yep. be perfectly honest,
0: Yeah. and right now the big the my daily my favorite daily right now is contradiction, which is
1: oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good one,
0: it's just a at that price point, it's just really nice, and it's just a good daily drinker, I completely agree. Or not daily drinker, but day drinker, or whatever, however you want to call that. The, the first first bottle up on the bar, just for the, you know a sip midweek. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, I mean if you're going to have more than one, you can kind of go down down the level as as you go on. But uh, yeah, the Contradiction is is an excellent one. It was the first bourbon that my brother ever gave me as a gift almost ten years ago.
0: Yep, and uh, we've kind of moved on from the low level Jeffersons too. I know you got the Ocean. Have you cracked the Jefferson Ocean? Because I haven't had that in God ten years.
1: Um, I actually had one at at darts on Wednesday uh, because that's what they're pouring at the place that we play now. So I've had the ocean quite a bit over the last few months because they have it. And it's at a reasonable price. I think it's only like 12 bucks a a shot. Wow, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's not bad considering. Um, So I haven't opened the bottle that's sitting right here uh, staring at me right now.
0: All right. You can catch the Fantastics Inside a Baseball Show on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio on Saturdays and Sundays from 11 to 1. Podcasts here. If you're uh, listening to us on InsiderBaseball.com, make sure you go to Spotify or Apple po- Podcasts or Google Podcasts and uh, subscribe to us so you know when new episodes drop. We don't work on a regular schedule, but we try to get out a couple a week. And uh, right now, in-season, it's going to be more topical. You're want going to want to hear them fresher. So uh, make sure you subscribe so we know when you drop an episode. We'll see you next time with either Siri on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio or next time here on the Fantastics Insider Baseball oh, yeah. blog. Let's go!